Here comes O'Bannon, in and out, down the lane. And the foul. Rebounded inside, O'Bannon, who banks it in. Here's O'Bannon, he's been sensational. To the bucket! O'Bannon, the senior, the last time he will ever play on this court at Freedom Hall, and he flat can't miss. Welcome in, guys. This is the Player's Perspective Uncensored Podcast. I am your host, Larry O'Bannon. Hey, another day, another dollar right here on the podcast. I appreciate you loyal listeners and you guys just taking a little bit of time out of your day to come through and rock with us on the podcast. It's always a pleasure for me to be on here with you guys and bring you guys special guests. Got another one here for you guys today on this episode. But before we get started, make sure you guys go and follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is the PPU Podcast on Instagram, the Players Perspective Podcast. And make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Players Perspective Uncensored Podcast. Great way for you guys to see how we interact with our guests and how we conduct our podcast rate us leave reviews we love your feedback that's how we continue to grow as a podcast and that's how we get better at conducting our podcast now today's episode we're joined by former nba veteran chuck hayes now the california native is now working in the front office with the houston rockets organization of as director of player personnel so we're going to talk to him about his collegiate days playing at the university of kentucky and how he grinded his way to a 10-year career after being undrafted and we're also going to talk to him about how it is to be on the other side of the basketball business now that he's in the front office for our bourbon selection of the day for this episode we're going to go back into our sample box and we're going to try the old rip van winkle 10-year bourbon it's 107 proof or 53.5% alcohol volume. Comes from the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Now, it's from the same family line of product as the Pappy Van Winkle line, but it's not a Pappy Van Winkle. It's a top shelf product, very allocated bourbon, and it's a bottle that's very highly regarded in the bourbon world. And typically, you have to have some type of connection with somebody to get a decent price at this or even have a chance of buying it. Otherwise, if you see it in your mom and pop or local shop, and it's available, a lot of times it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. But the great part about being in the bourbon community is a lot of people are willing to share and give you samples. So we were able to get our hands on a sample. So we're going to give you guys our thoughts. We're going to talk to Chuck. So without waiting any further, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Chuck, big fella. Appreciate you What's stopping up, on the podcast, man. What's, how's, that, how's everything going with you? Man, first of all, man, I'm good, brother, man. But thanks for having me, man. I'm a, I tune into watching y'all every week, man. I love the content you guys put out there, man. I'm a fan, man. You guys automatically get the the double tap likes, retweets, and all that <laughs> shit, all that that y'all get from me, man. Just off, just off of love, and just off the, I know what type of brothers you guys are, man. So already, thanks for having me. already. Now, you came from Cali. You went to UK, so living in Lexington, man. I know you're familiar with the bourbon game. You tried it a few times. What were maybe some of the bourbons that you like, a bourbon that you were familiar with living in Lexington for those years? Well, our equipment guy was a big maker's mark called Mr. Kylie. He used to always have one in his uh, equipment room. And then uh, on my off day, I would go have a drink with him every now and then. Between that and Woodford Reserve, I believe yeah, that's yeah. the name of it. Yeah, yeah. man, those, those two right there, man. We, st- we that, they kept in the fridge. We kept those in the fridge because we had to drink them cold, man. I couldn't drink them straight. 
<laughs> yeah, that would like that, definitely get you together. So let, let's jump into the basketball aspect of the podcast, man. Who was somebody that inspired you growing up or who was somebody that you really looked up to or that you may have wanted to emulate your game after? Man, growing up in California, man, I had I had a few guys I was like, I had like uh, basketball crushes or meaning like I wanted to, like you said, emulate my game like them. Being in California, one was uh, Toby Bailey, he went to UCLA. And then Paul Pierce, an L.A. guy, but went to Kansas. And lastly, uh, Ron Mercer. Like, those three guys, man, I thought they were cold, man. And I was – I just knew I was going to be a three, man. I was like, man, I don't care if I'm 6'4", six, 6'9", six, I'm going to be a three <laughs> like those dudes. So, I tried to emulate my game after all of them, and I failed miserably at all of them. But I was able to still niche out my way and make my game what it is. Right. Now, being from California, you had a, a, a lot of options to go to big-time schools out there in Cali and stay close to home. What made you come across the country and choose to play for UK? Man, it was uh, – you know what's so crazy? A lot of California schools wasn't really showing me love like that. A few of them were, a couple of low majors. I think UCLA and Cal were, like, the biggest ones who was uh, going after me. They decided to go elsewhere. I'll never forget UCLA kind of crushed me because uh, they had five scholarships and they called me. It's like, Chuck, we got five scholarships and you're number six on our list. And I was just wow. like, all right, well, yeah, I don't want to go there then. Right. <laughs> but then uh, my man, uh, it really came down to Kansas and Kentucky. And my boy Drew Gooden was at Kansas and he was going into his sophomore year. And then uh, I – I admired Tayshawn Prince growing up because him being a California kid, I used to watch him all the time. So it really came down to those two. And then I just knew, and I actually, even as much as I, as much as I wanted to go to Kansas, I just knew in my heart, I just knew in 2001, Tayshawn and Keith Bogus was going to declare for the draft and leave because they just had a really good year. Right. So I was like, bet the four man's about to leave. The three man's about to leave. I'm going to be able to go in there and play right away. Man, they decided to come back in my first 12 games. I was like, damn, I should have went to Kansas. I'm sitting on the bench. I'm sitting on the bench. I'm sitting on the bench behind two All-Americans. I was like, man, y'all were supposed to leave. But they decided to come back. I'm still grateful for them coming back. But that was, that's what it, really, what it came down to is opportunity to play or go to Kansas and play with uh, one of my good friends, Drew Gooden. That's nice. I spent a lot of time down there in UK with y'all, you know. Yeah. How was it at UK? Did you feel like you was, you know, did you feel like an athlete? Did you feel embraced there? I, I you know what? I did, man. I mean, coming from California, man, it's such a cultural shock, bro. Like, I was, I got on campus at 17 years old because my birthday is later on in the summer. So, being 17 years old, coming from California, man, I did not know what to expect. But they show love, and they, they show love like they knew me already. And I'm just like, I don't even know y'all. I'm talking about from the, the, uh, the fans, the students, the teachers, the counselors, everybody that knew me on a first and last name basis. They just embraced me so much. So I felt the love immediately. But one thing that really did help me, I latched on to two Kentucky guys. And if I ever needed some homegrown, like, loving, uh, like a home atmosphere, I was always able to go out there and be with their families, and they kind of just took me in as an adopted son. 
Right. Now, do you feel like they embrace you completely or do you feel like they just embrace you just as an athlete or they embrace the whole Chuck Hayes as the person too? Uh, at first, it was just the athlete. Right. At first, I, I, and, and I felt that. And I was like, you know, because, man, athletes come and go. I can easily transfer. Uh, I can get recruited over. Uh, right. A lot, of different, a lot of different things. Man. I mean, y'all. Y'all played there at Rep, man, and I'm sure it's the same thing at Will, how it was at Freedom Hall, man. Don't you miss a couple of shots in a row, dude? The Boo Birds are coming. <laughs> let, let, hey, let you make a dumb foul. And, oh, they're coming. You right. know what I'm saying? But, right. like, early on, as a young 18-year-old kid, I didn't know how to take that. Because I was like, man, they don't really care about me. They just, you know, because I'm an athlete. Right? But then... After a while of showing your personality and keeping your head straight and doing the right things, they started to embrace you, especially going there for four years. They feel like they know you. Right. You know, now you, you get away with a little bit of shit because they know you'll make up for it. Dope, right. dope. Now, let's, let's fast forward to the end of 2004, 2005, U of L, UK game. <laughs> the controversial ending. Now, it's two bang, bang plays. <laughs> <laughs> it's a play that involves you and I I drove. It was controversial whether it was offensive oh, foul or not. Charge. Charge. <laughs> and then we got charge. the Patrick Sparks play where he traveled, stepped out of bounds, and whatever else you would have called with it. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, man, when I tell you y'all had our number that game, I think y'all had our number even the year before uh, Mo's senior year when y'all came in to rep and beat us. I think psychologically y'all had our number. I don't know what happened in halftime of 2004, 2005. We just caught a mojo. And I'll, I'll never forget, I, me and uh, Francisco, we were teammates in Sacramento. And I, we talked about that game. I said, I'll never forget. I saw him and Taekwon Dean just dancing at halftime because they just knew it was cake. Uh. They just knew they was like, oh man, what they about to we about to blow these out the wind out the water. We I don't know how we came back, hit a shot, hit a shot. Like I said, if y'all start missing, here come those bluebirds. You know what I'm saying? Now y'all feel a little pressure, but I never forget you was on the left side in the corner. I read it. Dude, <laughs> I read it. Drove right. Robbie Moss did a terrible closeout, as always. Hey, it was a charge. I sold it too, Mo. I sold it, bro. Like my back was hurt. It gave me the block. Now, the Patrick Sparks ending. To be honest with you, I didn't see he traveled until I saw the replay. Oh, man, my man was dancing. Oh, he, he, was, he was dancing in that corner. But with all those trees around him, you know, in the shadows, the referee couldn't see it. The referee's watching the ball. I was just more impressed that Clint Alzabuki even passed him the damn ball. But, you know, the crazy part about it is I tried to jump to the side. Even before I could jump to the side, I kind of hit you. And so I was I was just trying to locate a ref, like, man, what's he going to call? And they called a block. I was like, oh, man, cool. Man, trust me, bro. <laughs> Especially me watching college basketball. I still watch college basketball to this day. The charge block call in college basketball is so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. And, I, and, for, that, and for that reason, I just knew I got the charge, even if it was a block. I just knew I had to charge, but granted, you got it. You knocked down your free throws, did what you had to do. And to be honest with you, that last play, dog, we were stuck. We didn't know how the hell we was gonna make it. You know, the crazy play. part about it is that coach, we seen you, we seen you guys come out of the huddle, seen what you what formation y'all was gonna be in. Coach called timeout. 
Yeah. And so he told us exactly what was about to happen. He said, they're going to inbound. They're going to throw it back to Sparks. Don't jump. Patrick Sparks is going to ball fake. Well, really? What happens? Throws it in to Kalina Akzabuki. He goes up like he's going to shoot. Kicks it back to Sparks. And Francisco yes. is the one that left Patrick. And to go double-team Kalina because he thought Kalina was going to shoot like a little 25-footer. Yeah. Patrick's wide open. Ellis runs to a closeout. Jumps. Patrick Chops, yeah. shuffles his feet, stops out of bounds, jumps into him. <laughs> it's a foul. I mean, if you ain't caught nothing else, it was a foul. As soon as he got yeah. fouled and they blew the whistle, I said, oh, Pat knocking these down. Yeah. Man. Bruh, I, just, I just went down and sat down at the other end. Bro, when he was shooting those free throws, granted, he was our best shooter, our best free throw shooter. But, bro, to make all three, don't even touch the rim. Man, and I, I man, knew they were cash. Bro, let me tell you this, man. I think that game was like at noon on Saturday. Yeah, boy, it was a hell of a night in Lexington that Saturday evening. Brother. <laughs> well, I bet. Oh, man, it was a hell. I'm bet. talking about it. The freshman was like, "Yo, we coming with y'all." No, you're not. Right. <laughs> but y'all went small ball in that second half, man. Y'all put Kalina at the four, and you were at the five, and y'all yeah. had Ravi at the at uh, Ravi Patrick, and put you and Rajon in that pick and roll with him going downhill against Ellis, and man. Next thing wow. I know, I just remember Kalina rolling up top, hitting a three. Next thing I know, uh, what's his name? Perry rolling up top, hitting a three. I said, man. And yeah, like I said, we just got one. cold. Y'all caught that momentum. And we could we never – caught the momentum. We couldn't play Randolph because Ellis was killing me. We couldn't play Shigari or Wu. Like, nobody. So, that's – you're right. We did go small. And me and Rajon, we did the pick and roll, or we kept slipping because y'all kept hard showing. Yeah. And I was slip. And if I slip – Help comes, I'm kicking it to the corner. Like, we hit off a good four to five threes that just swung the momentum in. Yeah, man, that was unbelievable to this day, man. That's crazy. Before uh, before I ask you this this next question, what a lot of uh, U of L and UK fans don't realize is how close we all are. Like, when I say I spent a lot of time down in Lexington, we play pickup. You know, y'all, you know, y'all will always pick me like I was on a team, let me use the facility. So a lot of them, a lot of fans think like we don't like each other. No, it's just that one game. Like yeah. after that, it's like it's so much love. They don't realize I spent so much time down there with y'all. Like you would have thought I was on y'all team. <laughs> Absolutely, know? man. Like you know what's so crazy? And we always commend you, Junior, for coming down, dog, because like at the end of the day, like you say, it is stuff. We all hoopers. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ain't like very rarely a lot of us were not from Kentucky. You know, so we we had to embrace this rivalry, but at the same time, we're all hoopers. And on some competitive stuff, we'll we'll talk trash. We'll go after it. But right. once we're done, but once we're done hooping, man, what's up, man? Let's go get some need. Exactly. That's it. You know what I'm saying? That's hey, it. hey, what, what's up, man? Wait, what's going on out there? You know what I'm that's saying? It. Wait, what what the, what the chicks wearing out there? Like it was. Right. That's all. <laughs> that's all it right. was. Right. They don't man, realize but, it was just one game. Like they. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. yeah like okay. we had an on and off switch. We had an on and off switch with each other where we can. We can get competitive, but then again, at the same time, it was it was a mutual respect for each other as athletes, sure. as student athletes, as, as young sure. black men, man. Chuck, talk about uh, the grind for your tenure career. Talk about the grind, like you not being drafted. How hard did you have to work? Because I'm I'm sure oh. the grind, you know. Well, look, man, I I I've been blessed. I've been grateful, man. I mean, you guys, both of you guys, shoot, all three of us went to that boat, not hearing our name called, but. Uh, it was more of a sense of simple fact, man. I just got pissed off. Like my in 2005, when I didn't get drafted, dude, I'll never forget. I'm sitting at home in my parents' room. Dude, I didn't get my name called. I went and took a shower. 
my my dad called me, said your agent's on the phone. I said, tell him I'll call him back. And I just went to I went to a bar, had me some Woofer Reserve in California. And I just got pissed off. I went to training camp looking to kill. Up, they cut me. I went to the G League. I mean the D League. I was like, I'm gonna kill in that one. They gave me a 10 day contract, and that was the worst thing they could have did, bro. That was the worst thing they could because I was I was so eager. I was like, I'm going at Stromile Swift. I'm going at Jawan Howard. You know what I'm saying? I'm going at Lonnie Backs. I'm going to, hey, if I get matched up on T-Mac, I'm going at, yeah, you can get this too. Like, I, I just got so motivated that all I was like, man, I just need a chance. I just need a 10-day. Let me get a 10-day. If I got a 10-day, right. it's going to be over. So, yeah, man, it was just a part of the grind. I got motivated even more. I got pissed, and I just stayed the course and made sure I was prepared. And people don't understand like that disenchantment, man, and that disappointment of, of not hearing your name called. Like that's a real moment, man. And like it's yeah. not easy to just overcome, man. And, and like, you know, you know, some people still haven't gotten over it, man. And, and it's tough. It took me about a whole year. And like I said, I chose to go play overseas. Like I was going to get my bag. I was going to get the money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I had look, I had those, look, I had those opportunities too, man. Like you said, you just, I mean, that's what we all dreamed about, bro. Right. I think we all remember our first our first time we watched a televised NBA draft and seen the moments of these guys' faces. Just like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That I was like it, our it, that was if, like our ultimate goal. If I could go back, I probably would have gave it a, another chance to to do the G League a year to give myself a chance, but I just went straight to playing overseas, man. And it's kind of like Mm. Yeah, no, nah, man. I can't, brother. I commend both of y'all for doing that because me now doing it, being in the front office like I am, we we scout, we scout over there. I mean, we mm -hmm. watch film on guys over there. We have international scout, and I'm watching some of the guys who's been over there six, seven years. I'm like, bro, that is a crime. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. I tip yeah. my hat because not knowing the uh, the uncertainty of your paycheck, the uncertainty of the situation, the living conditions. I take some balls, man, and hey, that's a brave moment. For sure. Now, one thing I want to ask you about is people always kind of mess with you about your free throw shoot. Do people still come up and ask you about your free throw shoot and I ridicule you about that? Absolutely, dog. My shit, hey, my shit is legendary. I've just embraced it, bro. Like, y'all know I've never had a jumper. My shot was always on the way down. It had a hitch. But, like, it just came for a while, like, it was so psychological with me. Then I had a remember y'all remember Sean Resper? Yep. He went to uh -huh. Michigan State. Sharpshooter. 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 Yeah. My fifth year in the league. My fifth year in the league, he came as a player development coach. And obviously I was having some troubles troubles with my free throws psychologically. He was like, Chuck, who gives a fuck? Who cares? Just make right. one. Just all you gotta do is just make one. Right. If you just if you just make one, like fifty percent, I know it's a bad percentage. But when you go to the line, they're expecting you to miss both. Just make one. And like, who cares? Like, they don't even know who, you. Don't even know who they are. Why did you? Why should you bother what they think? And from there, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna embrace it. I'm right. just gonna embrace it. it. It is what it is. Even my son, my son is 13 years old, and his friends be like, Mr. Chuck, let's have a free throw contest. I was like, look. Don't get don't get it messed up. I'll make ten in a row with this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and what's crazy, you know? Chuck, when you say that is people don't realize it's different from when you're just in the gym and yeah. when you're in the game. So his you're right when you tell his friends, like, don't don't get it twisted. Like this is a, this yeah. is a different. 
Yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little different. Look, I know y'all y'all seen the highlights. And look, I only had four points a game. Look, Mister Chuck is bigger now. Look, he got a dead body. Look, you can still get this work with this hitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they'd be All like, right. "Man, how's it? Go- they'd be like, how's it going in?" I'm like, "Y'all are hoopers. I'm a pro. Period. Right? You hoop. You go. I'm a pro. Period. So yeah, man. People get on me about it. They see me around and it's." I even have a couple of, I started an AAU program a couple of years ago. They even put it on NBA 2K and kids ascended it to me. I was just like, hey, I'm just legendary. So be it, man. I got to embrace it. I got paid to do it. Got paid right. to do it. If you, shot, if you shot like me, maybe you would have played 10 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was it like playing with T-Mac and Yao? Give me a, give me a T-Mac or, or a Yao story playing with them. Mm, first of all, man, two icons, man. Like, you get starstruck seeing T-Mac come in training camp my rookie year. You get starstruck. Seeing Yao, his presence alone makes you go, puts you in awe. Um, first of all, I think Yao is one of the most, like, unselfish, most humble superstars ever. Like, this dude had no ego. I'm talking about practice started at 11 o'clock, dude. He's in the gym at 9. Sweat. Why? Because he understood the commitment and take and the expectations he had. And it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable watching his work ethic. I know everybody sees like, man, he's so slow. He should be dominating. Man, you got to see the work he puts in. Season's over with. Kind of like, uh, oh, no, that's, hey, Nazi was the same way. No days off. And he's still big doing man, it right now. <laughs> a big man like that, carrying that much weight. And got to maintain quickness, man, no days off. Game seven, 2007, we lose to the Utah Jazz. Uh, that was on a Sunday. Tuesday, we had exit meetings. That Tuesday morning, Yao was doing a workout. I'm like, Yao, go chill. And he was like, I got to get better. I got to get ready for the Olympics. I got to, like, he was, it was just so much. So Yao was one of the hardest workers that I've ever been around. And then, um, with T-Mac, dude, he's, he's so starstruck. He was, like, so cool. Like, you watching him, man, it's like, man, this, this is a guy that rappers rap about. Right. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> you know, this is the yeah. this is the dude that was debating with Cole, you know. And he, it just his demeanor. And, like, once he trusted you, man, you could do no wrong. I still talk to him. He lives right around the corner from me out here in, uh, in the Houston area. And uh, we still chit-chat. We still talk. We talk business, man. But, like, it, I was grateful playing with two iconic figures in this basketball world because it helped me grow as an athlete. It helped me grow as a professional. And it's something I can something I can tell my kids about. It's dope. Nice. Nice. Now, Daryl Morey credits you with really starting the small ball trend with the Houston Rockets franchise. Now, did you see that some as something going forward when you were playing or was it just an incident where we just got an undersized power forward center and that's just what we got to roll with and i look that all happened through injuries for one i came in playing the power forward position and then 2008 we draft louis scola and carl landry so two more power forwards and then the following year in 0809 tracy's healthy shane battier's healthy and we trade for ron artest Right, and we got to Kimbe Mutombo. So, no, in the front court position, we were loaded. 
we were loaded. And so in the playoffs, Yao goes down. Dikembe goes down. Hmm. We're playing the Lakers in the first round, I mean the second round. Luis cannot match up against Paul Gasol. Carl can't match up against Andrew Bynum. He said, Chuck, get in there. And I was like, I did whatever I could. Obviously, I mean, y'all know my build. I have thick legs, got cankles. You know what I'm saying? But my, my feet, my feet was nimble enough to get around and, and fight for them and get position. Right. So it was came it came down to it's like I was the only one capable of guarding bigger guys with the right resistance. And then um I remember when uh <laughs> in this scouting the pro, we interview college prospects all the time, and one kid asked me, he goes, how did you do it guarding guys like four to five inches taller than you and bigger than you? He goes, why did you start guarding bigger guys? I said, it's quite simple. I'd rather guard Tim Duncan or I'd rather guard Tim Duncan than Mono Ginobili. I'd rather guard Andrew Bynum than Kobe Bryant. You know, because like, you can use my quickness, I can use my strength to get those guys off. Guarding these guards, guarding y'all, running through pick and rolls, running through pin downs, oh my God, I would have got eight up. I would have got, no, I would have got eight up. So, I knew my strength. I knew how I can get the best of my advantage against my opponent. And uh, it was a situation in 2009 where my team needed me to guard the centers, and I embraced it, and I carved out the niche. But you were one of the top defensive players in bars, like defensive, uh, defensive efficiency. You were always mm-hmm. one of the top players in the league, man, at your position. So definitely kudos for that, man. I uh, appreciate it, man. I just I, I was a big film guy, man. I used to watch film on my guys all the time. All the time, man. Like my preparation before every game, when I knew I was guarding pre primary post score, I was I was locked in. So now you, you in the front office, you know. I'm sure you you know you love it. How is that different from playing? What's the difference from being in the front office and playing? Oh uh, man, it's it's a big difference. I can tell you, it's the one similarity. It's a big difference, but the one similarity is the competitive nature. Competitive drive I get I'm trying to engineer and architect a roster. I I've found my fulfilling again since I've been done playing basketball. Now, how is it different, man? Oh man, it's <clears throat> first of all, the owner, the GM, and the head coach all gotta be on the same page. Huh. All gotta be they one part like one sound, one beat, what they say in drum line, though, hey, we all, we all, we all got to be on the same, then it's up to the coach to relay it to the players. It's up to the GM to relay it, relay it to his staff. And everybody has to believe. You know, it, it's a, it's a leadership thing. And then uh, learning the cap, learning the CBA, uh, learning uh, guys' contracts, learning the body, like, you know, now it's uh, low management, and uh, understanding these guys are breaking down, all that comes into play when it comes to building in the roster and really style of play. You know, how do you want to play inside out, outside in, threes, layups, gonna be slow methodical, and you're gonna play fast paced like uh, Steve Nash days. But all of that comes into play, but like I said, the owner, GM and head coach, man, they, they gotta all be on the same page and everybody underneath them has to buy in. How much are you an analytics guy versus a guy that, like, I know what I see with my eyes? How do you balance that? It, it does take a balance because I'm part of the, like, we're part of the era of the 90s era. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Growing up watching basketball in the early 2000s um, era. So 
I believe in analytics. There is a place in analytics. And we obviously, the Houston Rockets, we are a heavy analytical team. And what it is is I'm just open to learning more. Like, I, I still have my, my scout's eye. I still have my talent's eye where I know a guy can play or if he can't play. Right. But if a guy – if I look at a guy and I say he can't play and I'm like, I get turned off by him, then it's up to me to go to the analytics and be like, look, why is he on everybody's radar? Like, why, is, why, are, why are people telling me that I should be paying more attention to him? What is the numbers – why is the numbers saying that? I can give you a prime example. Oh, you guys know this. Oh, my goodness. 2017, this kind of hits home with you guys. And maybe y'all can help – y'all could have helped me. I should have I should have called y'all. I'm gonna tell you this story. And this is where the analytics come into play. In 2017, I'm with the Denver Nuggets. And uh we're going over our draft board. We all got our guys that we like, and we got the 13th pick. We all got our guys that we like. I think I had Bam, Terrence Ferguson, and John Collins. And some and DJ Wilson. Some guys had TJ Leaf, OJ Anubi, Caleb Swanigan, da 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 da. Two days before the draft, my GM walks in and goes, hey, let me ask you guys something. Why is everybody telling us that we should be looking at Luke Kennard and Donovan Mitchell? And we were like, wait, huh? Does anybody here like Donovan Mitchell or Luke Kennard? The whole staff was like, mm, nah, not really. You know, his, his numbers that he was putting up, his PER, and it's like, we should have paid attention to him. You know, we should we should have dove in on style of play and everything, but uh, he was a guy analytically that should have popped to us. But me at the time, this was my first year, not understanding the value of the analytics. I went with my scout's eye. Now, mm. now, learning from my Donovan Mitchell experience, if I don't like a guy, man, I'm doing a deeper dive on film. I'm doing a deeper dive on his analytical numbers to see why is why is he popping up on everybody's radar but mine. And to sit here and say that I knew that he was going to be the player that he is now, I can't sit there and tell you that. You know, yeah. I knew he was a really good player, but to say that, you know, he's become the all-star and to be the dynamic player that he is, I can't say that I thought that that was going to happen that fast. I think that yeah. he just landed in a great situation that's really allowed him to play his game and he's really blossomed, but I can't sit here and tell you that, like, I knew he was going to do that all along. So, no, I can't yeah. sit here. I gotta be honest with you when I take it. <laughs> so Yeah, my my boss for the Denver Nuggets, he was like, Chuck, who does he play like? I was like, he reminds me of Shannon Brown. Exactly. I was like, Shannon Brown, you know, it's a it's a decent role player. You know, he went in the twenties. Well, I was like, he wasn't a lottery pick, but it's a situation, like you said, to credit what you just said, he he landed in a good situation in Utah. At the time we had Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Emmanuel Mudia. He had five guards in his position. Right. You know, it would have been tough to him to break the rotation unless he just come out there and kill. But right. like I said, if you look at the analytics to his numbers in college, should have paid a little bit more attention to it. Yeah, because of the style of play. Like you said, the style of play, it just depends on Patino roster. You know, you, yes. you know, some, some guys Patino, you know, let loose like that. And some guys, you know, you got to play within that system. You know, so Absolutely. his numbers didn't jump out at you like, you know, some of these other guys. When you look Absolutely. at Russ, coach gave him, like, just let him be him. When you look at Donovan, you know, y'all was looking at what was going on at Louisville. It was like, you know, uh, you know, but yeah. 
you know, you got to put a guy in, in that, you know, because the NBA is different from college. You know, you put a guy in that NBA setting to spread the floor, if he's a good one-on-one player, it's different. You know, in college, it's, it's help everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So some guys can't get through that, you know? So. I agree, man. I agree. What's the name? I would I would put Devin Booker in that same boat when he was at Kentucky. Right. Yeah. My man didn't yeah. even start. Can't get off the right. bench. Right. And here right. he is an all-star, you know? But if you look at his efficiency, kind of like Donovan mentioned, look at his efficiency and the numbers he played in, yeah, it should have popped more. And so that's where the analyticals has, has a, I've adopted the analytical view in my scouts. Devin Booker came off the bench for Kentucky getting buckets. They were loaded that year. I forgot. I can't say think of who they had, but they were loaded, man. They, they, they had, they had Euless and they had the Harrison twins. Yeah. He was playing behind, he was playing behind them and uh, somebody else. I forgot who was there, but yeah, no, he, he had this man on the bench. Probably right. the best pro out of all of them. Right, right. <laughs> Chuck, now we've reached the part of the podcast we call our burn proof segment of rapid fire questions, man. We're going to shoot you some rapid fire questions. Don't give it a lot of thought. Just give us your first answer. We're going to roll with it. Got you. Your favorite pregame meal? Uh, chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Toughest person you had to guard? Zach Randolph, Al Jefferson, and Dirk Norris. Who's the last one? Dirk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most underrated player in the NBA. Drew Holiday. Woo! Yo, thank you. I just had an argument with a whole bunch of dudes the other day. They was like, trash. I said, are you serious? He played both ends of the floor. He's not selfish. But I said, if you want to get that work, he'll give you that work. Like, oh, my God. Trash. Uh, I said, man, y'all tripping, bro. Like, y'all Crafty, crafty, sneaky athleticism. Underrated handle. Underrated, like yeah. shifty. Yeah, Drew Holiday. Yeah, and he was all star too. Mm-hmm. If you was making a song, who would you put on the hook? Little baby, bro. Hey, <laughs> I'm 37 years old, and man, I already know, man. This dude, whatever he touches right now is hot. Facts. Facts. Hey, Facts. Teenagers got me on some new stuff right now. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> what's the uh? What's the best road arena you played in? Staples Center. Mm. Hmm. Nice. Staples Center. Nice. It's, it's one of the that and uh the garden is uh the garden used to be okay in New York, but the Staples Center is the best one. What's one way to recognize that somebody's from California? They use they say the word hella. <laughs> <laughs> they like, they like, man, that's hella crazy. <laughs> What's 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 one celebrity you will invite to sit courtside? Taraji P. Henson. Can't Mm. be mad at you about that one. Yeah, at all. That's that's my baby boy crush. (laughs) It's a question we call franchise sign and wave, Chuck. You got to franchise a guy that you're going to build your franchise around. You got to sign a guy that you're going to keep on the team. And you got to wave a guy that you just ain't got a roster spot for. You in the front office now. Ooh. All right, this is like start benching. We're going right. underrated, going underrated power forwards. We're going Elton Brand, going Zach Randolph, and Rashid Ooh. Wallace. Who would you franchising Rashid? Franchising Sheed? Like it. Franchising Sheed. What, what's the second one? Elton Brand and Zach Randolph. You got to choose between those two. No, no, no. What's the second term? Franchise. 
blank. And sign, franchise, sign, sign and sign. wait. Rasheed Wallace. She's the franchise? She is the franchise. I'm signing. That's tough. Oh, this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am signing. I am signing Zach Randolph, and I'm waving EB. I agree. And I, I love, like yeah, and I love EB, like Bob. But I love yeah. EB too, but I, I like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, I'm signing Elton. I mean, I'm you know signing why, uh, Zach. You know why I like your second one, Zach? Is he gonna why protect his team? He gonna protect his team. Yeah. And you, everybody know in the league that you know. He, yeah, you, know, you, can't like, just, you can't just punk him. Like, you know. not at all. Not you gonna feel him. You know, you gonna you gonna feel him. You know, Facts. what did my what did my man say in his like the video that went viral? Where I'm from, bullies get bullied. Right. Yeah, I, I, right. I I need that. Right. I need right. that. Right. Oh man, that's. I like EB too, man. EB was nice, little shimmy, Yo. baseline jumper. Man, yeah, that's, EB that's EB was co- EB gave me problems my fresh my rookie in my second year. On my third right. year, I was able to figure it out. I can't say now I would differentiate two, that. Uh, no, the other two, I couldn't figure out. You know what's so crazy? I caught sheet in Detroit. I didn't even catch sheet in Portland. I caught sheet in Detroit. And lightweight, dog, he took it easy on me. Cause, dog, it was so easy for him. He would tell Chauncey, yeah. like, yo, all right. He'd be like, I'm ready for one now. Give me one. And it was nothing I can do about it because he had a high release on his jumper. Exactly. Exactly. We it's played one on one. We played one on one with him too. He he just I held the ball above our head and shot it. it like, what man, was he saying, Larry? What, what can yeah. I do? Ain't nothing I can do about that. I got what up into him, yeah. and he just held the ball down and looked at me and shot the ball. Like, what and what did he say to you, Larry? What did he say to you? Draws. <laughs> I mean, came out there in some Air Force Ones, not strapped up, cut off, yeah. cut off sweats, and a raggedy. Detroit Pistons shirt looking like a bum, but giving us buckets. Buckets. <laughs> buckets. And walked back out. Buckets. Didn't stretch or nothing. Said, ah, oh, come on, man. Dang. Right. Right. How, Chuck, how would you define success? You know, I think success comes from within. And success, to me, is something that you're passionate about, man. Right. Like, your passion has to be something that's so, so far and, like, so high-driven that once you find passion for something, I think that's where you get your success at, man. Um, right. I, I caught I caught success. I caught my passion early at an early age, and I tell this to young kids today: find your passion early and just keep working at it. And I swear you'll you'll you will you will get the fulfilling feeling internally. You know, you know, nothing else really matters because I'm happy doing what I'm doing because I found my passion at an early age. Chuck. Way to close out the podcast, my brother. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to come through and bless us, man. And it's, uh, man. it's a pleasure to have you on, man. No, brother. Thank y'all for having me, man. Like I said, I tune in every time. I love what y'all doing, man. Y'all got a movement. Trust me, competing against you guys and knowing what you guys have done for the state of Kentucky and, and the city of Louisville, man. You guys got you guys got people's ears. You got my ear. You got a whole other audience. You got their ear as well, man. Just believe that you're influencing a lot of people, brother. Had a great time hosting Chuck on the podcast. I hope that you guys enjoyed it as well. It's wonderful to hear him share some of his stories from his UK playing days, except for that remix that he had on the ending to the UofL UK game. But we just going to let him slide with that. Also, some of his stories that he shared from his playing days in the NBA and his early career in the front office now. Wonderful guy and going to make a great GM in the NBA one day. 
And now for our final review of our bourbon selection of the day, which came out of our sample box, the old Rip Van Winkle 10 year bourbon. And like always, we always start our review with nosing the bourbon. And this one comes off very pleasurable, has a butterscotch and vanilla aroma to it that's really, really nice on the nose. Now to the sip has a good amount of energy, nothing that's gonna make you change your facial expression. Has a nice texture to it. You can feel the oil bodies within it, but not too much going on there. Flavor-wise, carries some really, really sweet notes. The butterscotch and vanilla, just like it smelled. Also has some oak in there. and had a sequence of spice that sort of creeped up on it as well. Really smooth in transition. Not much heat. Uh, one thing you find out about a lot of good quality bourbons is that it may be higher in proof, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have a lot of burn or a lot of heat. And so this one didn't have much heat. Um, was really smooth going down. Left a nice moisture trail on the tongue the aftertaste was sort of complex had a combination of sweet and spice and wood but the notes sort of faded in a short time i would have liked for them to last a little bit longer but overall a really nice pour very similar to weller's antique 107 which is probably one of my personal favorites might be my top bourbon um, along with stag and a few others you can see why it's so highly sought after uh, great bourbon, a great pour. Uh, if you could get your hands on it anywhere, or if you can find it or have friends with a sample, I definitely recommend you trying to sample a great quality bourbon. Now that's our review for the day. Make sure you guys go leave us reviews. We love to hear you guys' feedback. Thank you guys for tuning in. That'll do it for this episode. I'll see you guys next week. And that is The Player's Perspective.